Hey y'all, and welcome to Hawk Off the Press, your new Iowa football podcast here at the Gazette. I'm Leah Van, I'm your brand new Gazette beat writer on all things Iowa football, and I'm super excited to get started this season. So this podcast is still gonna be on your same feed. It's gonna be on that On Iowa podcast feed on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Twitter, wherever you get your podcasts, just with a new name, cause I'm the new girl in town and thought I would change things up. Anyway, every week I'm going to be breaking down the previous game with a fellow writer from the Iowa football beat, and then I will be previewing the upcoming game with a writer from the other team, so we can get a little bit of intel on what that other team is going to look like. And then on Saturday, following the game, I will be joined by Mike Halas, our Gazette columnist, to talk about our immediate reactions to the Iowa football game. So. I hope y'all enjoy this newly branded podcast, Hawk Off the Press, and let's get started. Hey y'all, and welcome to the first ever episode of Hawk Off the Press. It is no longer the On Iowa podcast. I'm changing it up, so welcome. This is Leah, your Gazette beat writer for the Iowa Hawkeyes, and today I'm actually joined by our competitor, the enemy, but my friend, <laughs> Kennington Smith of the Des Moines Register. Kennington, how are you doing? How do I? I'm used to calling you Kenny. It's Kenny. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, like I go by Kenny, like, you know, off, you know, professional, you know, anything that's not a byline, I go by Kenny. We're like, I guess frenemies would be the yeah. way to to describe it, but I'm honored to be on the the first episode of the the rebrand. And you are obviously somebody who's been very helpful in my transition here. So uh, even though we're on um, opposite sides in terms of like competition, you know, I value as a person and a friend, and I appreciate you. So I'm looking forward to a, a fun episode and a good conversation. I appreciate you too, Kenny. It's fun to have another young person on the beat and. Um, you know, have a good times living in Iowa City. <laughs> right. Yeah, we're um, you know, we're SEC companions now. So we are. We have to, you know, we have to to you know stay together because you know people out here in Big Ten country don't they're not too much fans of the SEC. So it's important for us to, you know, to hold each other up in the in the midst of, of all of that. To to quote the uh to quote the alliance of the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12, we looked each other in the eyes. <laughs> And we decided <laughs> we are we are aligned. Right, exactly. <laughs> Texas is in the SEC. <laughs> right, welcome. Gentlemen's welcome. agreement. <laughs> right, welcome, welcome. Uh, appreciate it, the warm welcome. So yeah, like you said, you are from the South, the true South. I'm from Texas and we tend to differentiate. So right. what have been like your biggest culture shocks coming to Iowa? Oh man, like... Probably like definitely like, you know, like agriculture, like cornfields, like driving in, like it was just like crazy, like looking like on both sides of the road. And it's just like cornfields for for miles. Like I'm from Atlanta. So it's like we don't have like in like this, the heart of the city. Like once you get like out of Atlanta, you go to more rural areas. Of course, you see all that. But I'm not used to, to seeing that, like, you know, driving like long distances on the highways and just seeing all of that. Um, I was surprised at how big the beer culture is out here it's like breweries everywhere <laughs> um people really 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 enjoy their their beer which is something i'm still trying to like transition to like we've been to 
you know, like big girl a few times and I'm just like drinking this beer and I'm like fighting to finish it because it's, <laughs> it's just not something that I'm used to. So like I'm looking at the menu, everybody's like ordering, you know, I'll have this, I'll have this. And I'm just looking at the menu like, man, this might as well be in another language. So I'm asking suggestions like, you know, what's good, what's, you know, light. Um, so that's that's been a big thing too. My biggest shock is yet to come, which is going to be the cold weather. And I have been um, preparing hard. Like I haven't bought a t-shirt in months it's just been all hoodies crew necks <laughs> jackets <laughs> boots like wool socks the whole the whole nine so I'm trying to best prepare myself as possible but um I like it out here I didn't know what to expect I'd never been to the Midwest before not even to visit so um coming out here I just came with an open mind and you know it's been pretty fun so far and I think it's gonna you know the fun is definitely gonna kick up you know once football season starts and we're really like you know in season so um yeah, Iowa, it gets a it gets a thumbs up from me so far. But um check back in the winter and we'll see kind of where my my ranking falls. That's when you're gonna need that beer. That's when uh it'll it'll keep you warm. Right, exactly, exactly. And I never this is my first time like trying to to grow one. When I first came up here, my editor said, you know, that first time that that cold air hits your face, it's gonna be like, you know. <laughs> You're going to have to, you're going to know at that moment that you need a beer. So I'm trying to, to get ahead of it right now. So we're trying to, you know, get it, get it fully grown in. So I'm, so I'm ready instead of having to, to get ready. Yeah. Looking fresh, looking fresh. Thank you, man. Thank you. Um, where to start? I mean, gosh, we had this big, like kind of announcement that didn't really pan out to be really anything. I don't know. <laughs> out of the Alliance, what was your takeaway from the Alliance or what did you end up having to write about? Well, my biggest takeaway is just like, it seems like everybody's trying to figure out a way to kind of like protect, I don't know if protect themselves from the SEC is the best way to put it, but everybody's trying to put themselves on solid footing for when the inevitable conversations of strength of schedule, strength of opponent come up when the playoff field expands. And when I look at the SEC, you know, at the top, you know, perennial playoff teams, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, who have been in the playoffs before, and I expect to still be, you know, you know, in that field regularly when it goes to 12. And then past that, you have Texas, you have Florida, you have Auburn, you have LSU. Like, they're, the SEC is going to be in a position to vie for several of the 12 playoff spots just because of how strong the conference is. So, you know, it's kind of on every other conference to try to find a way to reel in other teams or, you know, form like an alliance where you can say, you know, we play, you know, let's say a team like, you know, Ohio State, for example, can say in one year we might have played Oregon and Clemson. Well, that strength of schedule with the rest of the Big Ten schedule would be comparable to what a team in the SEC, you know, would face. Or we're talking about New Year's Six Bowl bids or anything like that. That's kind of what my big initial takeaway was is that, okay, they're trying to figure out a way to make sure that all the other conferences and all the other colleges are seen on the same level as the SEC in terms of how they're going to be evaluated. And then past that, I think the structure is just like fascinating with potentially dropping a conference game, adding another game from other conferences. Um, you know, it's school like Iowa with this team like Iowa State, should they continue that on? They'd have 11 and 12 power five games in a year, which would be brutal and pretty unheard of. So. You know, there are a lot of different things to, to look at, but those are like the few things that initially um, stuck out to me. Yeah, um, I think it's been circulating over Twitter. I've seen a lot of people arguing about whether or not Iowa, Iowa State should stay a thing. And mm -hmm. the funny thing is a lot of Iowa fans are like, I don't want to 
I don't want to play Iowa state, this terrible team every single year <laughs> when we could play like a much better branded team, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, hold on, hold on. Have we checked the latest rankings? Iowa state is number seven, right? Iowa is number 18. So who's the, I'm just, I don't know. What hey, are you? Hey, I, I kind of, I, I'm kind of with you on this. It's like, you know, they kind of look at, you know, and I guess rightfully so when you look at the entire history of their rivalry, you know, Iowa has dominated, but uh, you know, to, to quote the wire, the thing about the old days is they're the old days. So you know, we'll see what happens this year. You know, Iowa State is, of course, you know, the higher ranked team. They have a lot of hype around them. I think that, you know, from an Iowa fan's perspective, a lot of it is crediting Matt Campbell and what he's done. I think the, the interest and the speculation is what's going to happen to Iowa State, you know, after he leaves at some point down the road. But um, I'm not really, you know, of the, the thought that, you know, Iowa State isn't quote unquote worthy to be on, you know, Iowa's schedule just because they're a lesser team. Like, you know, I'm a fan of Georgia and I would like to see Georgia Tech on the schedule every year, even though Tech isn't, you know, on the same level as Georgia. I'm sure Clemson feels the same way about South Carolina and wanting them to be on on the schedule. So um, these rivalry games are important and um, I would like to see it can continue on, but um, you know, I'm sure the, the Iowa fans are sweating a little bit about you know the trajectory of Iowa State right now. And that Saha game is going to be crazy coming up in um, in a few weeks. So um, you know, I'm looking forward to that for, for sure. That'll be my first game um, on the beat. I'm missing the first game I have a wedding to attend. So um, Cyhawk is going to be kind of like a, a baptism by fire. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. <laughs> it will be. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's something that I listened to another podcast earlier this week about um, these in-state rivalries, even if they are non-conference, it does keep a lot of revenue in-state. So, or, you know, even some of those non-conference opponents, like Texas will play Rice or like UTL Paso every once in a while as their like non-conference game. And those are kind of important because it does keep the money in state. Right. Um, and I think the, one of the examples was like uh, somewhere in the South, like Wofford playing one Clemson. of those Clemson. Like South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. And it was saying like, yeah, it's, it, people do like to keep those games because they keep the money in state. So I don't know if any Iowa fans have thought about, you know, the Iowa, Iowa state rivalry, no matter what happens to Iowa state, no matter what conference they end up being in, like, have y'all given mind to the thought of like keeping that revenue in state and just maintaining this rivalry for that sake. Right. And yeah, there's you and I down the road, which is also why Iowa state is probably playing you and I this year. Right. Right. So. Right. It's interesting. The Alliance was very anticlimactic in my opinion. It just kind of like, basically this could, this all could have been an email uh, press release. Basically they're like, we're just going to be aligned on the decisions that we make. And that's kind of what I, took away from it especially with this age of covid um mm. you think of last year the big 10 like do we play do we not play pac 12 we're not going to play do we play now they're going to be kind of aligned on those kind of positions that's what i took away from it right right well um you know we'll see i think that the big thing is just kind of like nobody really knows what they're doing in the in the short term like i feel like a lot of these decisions are going to be end up being made you know a few years down the road but you know at least they kind of have like somewhat of a framework so, you know, they can just kind of kind of build off that. But um, luckily, you know, for, for everybody involved, this isn't something that's going to take effect, you know, next year because it will be a bit of a mess. So um, I'm glad they have, you know, several years down the road to kind of iron out the, the kinks that we're talking about right here. Yes, the unwritten framework that they have.
the right. eye wings. <laughs> uh, so let's get to talking about Iowa football. We got a depth chart yes. that yes. dropped today. Uh, not much different. Uh, any reactions to that? I know I don't really have a lot, but um, I think the linebacker position switching up a little bit. And obviously, you know, with Kyler Schott being out, you've got the next man up mentality coming in. Justin Britt and Josh Volk, who I guess was probably – you know, the right, the guy right behind him. And I don't know. I mean, what are your takeaways? Um, biggest takeaway that I saw was probably at, at, I believe it was left tackle or Mason Richmond started in the kids day scrimmage. And I thought I had a good day. I thought the entire offensive line played well, including Britt who replaced shot. Um, but Jack Plum is first team ahead of him. So I'm guessing there was something that happened in those following practices, following weeks where Plum just kind of like took a major leap forward and just kind of has that momentum going into to week one. But um, other than that, this is about what I expected. I think that a lot of the, the questions that we had were concerning maybe, you know, who would be the third person, like the running back position. Like we know it's Tyler Gibson. Um, we know Ivory Kelly Martin, but who's going to be that third? Is it going to be Leishon Williams? Is it going to be Gavin Williams? Those are more of the questions that I had, but this is just a too deep. So, you know, for, for the first and second string, it wasn't, you know, too much of a, of a surprise and about what I um, expected. So my, the questions that I have, you know, that I want answered, I'm sure you have questions as well, probably play out like in actual game situations. Yeah. And it, the funny thing is for me, I'm not used to paying attention to so close attention to the offensive line or personnel wise, right? Like I know they're there. I know if they're doing well and if they're not doing well, I certainly notice. Right. Right. Um, so when I was watching that kids day scrimmage, I, I was like more kind of keyed in on the defensive line. I was like, okay, who's rotating in and out of here. I didn't notice that like Mason Richmond was starting on that offensive line during that time. Mm -hmm. And so then I was like, oh shoot. And it's just, that's another like learning curve for me is people up here really like they pay attention to who exactly is on their line and not only on their line, but in what position on the line. Right. Uh, yeah, but Jack Plum, he, uh, we talked to him a little bit in the spring. I know you weren't there yet, but he seemed to be kind of an up and coming guy. He has a rich NFL history. His whole family has like coached in the NFL and, um, wow. yeah, Green Bay Packers. There's, there's a long line there. So I don't know. I think you can trust his caliber. I think you can trust his, uh, you know, the level that he plays at, but I know a lot of people were expecting that Mason Richmond would be starting. So I don't know. I mean, we'll see what happens on game day because well, I think it might be one of those positions that's changing every single day. Right. And I'm the, I mean, it's a fluid situation. I think, I think Farron said this after the kids day scrimmage is like, you know, we have several guys at tackle who we feel good about and could probably end up playing at, you know, some early point in the season. So you know, you're right. If it gets to a, a, you know, Indiana is a team, you know, notorious, aggressive on defense, blitzing team. So, you know, Jack Plum, the entire offensive line is going to be put into situations that are going to be difficult for them. So if anybody struggles, I don't think it'll be too, um, too much, you know, rope for them. So to say, if Ferentz feels like, you know, the entire offensive staff feels like they have multiple guys who can, they can just plug in and, and play. So, you know, definitely something to watch out for, for sure. Yeah. And I think, <clears throat> Ference has really kind of diminished the value of the depth chart. Every, every time we talk about it, we're all, he's like, yeah, you know, I have to put one out. We'll see. Right. And it's like, okay, there's probably not going to be that much changes at the end of the day when we do see this team take the field. 
Um, but those little minute changes, you know, like, oh, so we're, so we're going to move uh, Jack Campbell. We're going to move uh, Seth Benson and two right. switch sides and linebacker. Interesting. Like, tell me more, Kirk, right. tell me more. Right, exactly. Well, uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a chance to talk to him next week. That might uh, end up being a question, kind of what he saw that that made him say that, and he might end up saying, "Well, you know, we feel comfortable with everybody at every position," and that may be true. But um, you know, hopefully, he'll give us a little bit more detail than than that. But we'll see what happens against Indiana, which is going to be um, a monster game for sure. What are your thoughts on these first two games? You think Iowa takes both, goes one and one, goes zero oh and two? Have you thought that far? Are people asking you? I mean, people have been asking me. Yeah. Like, I think that, you know, I think the best case scenario, the most, the best case scenario is obviously going two and oh, I think the most realistic scenario is probably that they split. When I look at their schedule as a whole, like I kind of see it in like three tiers almost like you have four games that I would consider toss ups, like teams that are either, you know, on Iowa's level or that you could perceive as a little bit above them, like Indiana, Penn State are, you know, one spot before them and one spot after them in the AP rankings, Wisconsin and Iowa State are obviously ranked ahead of them. So those would be the teams that you might perceive as, you know, a little bit better than Iowa, but all four of those games, I think could go either way. And then you have Northwestern and Minnesota, which games they should win, but if they were to lose those games, I don't think that that would be that surprising either because those are, you know, solid teams. Northwestern has given Iowa trouble um, in the past. Minnesota should be good. And then you have six games that I think are pretty, locked in Kent State, Colorado State, Maryland, Illinois, Nebraska, Purdue. So you win all six games that you're supposed to win. The rest of the games you split um, and you're sitting there like kind of in like that nine and three um, bubble. So in terms of Indiana, Iowa State, like I feel like splitting is probably the most realistic scenario. Um, I think that Indiana is probably the more winnable game, quote unquote. They're at home, um, which is which is going to be um, a huge advantage for, for, for them. I'm um, going on the road at Iowa state, all the emotions around that game and how much Iowa state is, is wanting to win that game considering kind of where the rivalry has gone in years past. Um, and I'm probably trending more towards them in that game, but anything can happen. So that's kind of my, my thoughts. Yeah. Those are my thoughts too. I, I, I say you take one or the other when it comes to Iowa state or India and in Indiana, I don't think you say, I don't think they take both just because, they're also, I think they both might come down to the wire, right? And mm-hmm. at that point, it's a 50-50 chance. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. I feel like you like it's going to come down to like a field goal, right? And we're going we're gonna to see how good Caleb Shudak is, number one, or right. how good Iowa State's kicker is or how good Indiana's kicker is, whatever. Um, number two, I don't know. I don't know if I should believe the hype of Iowa State yet. I kind of am right now because – the running back, Brees Hall, stellar. You've got a lot of seniority on that team, Brock Purdy, but also like you got a lot of seniority on Iowa's team. And Iowa seems to always give Iowa State trouble no matter what the hype is, right? And Iowa State's been kind of on this steady climb over the years, but they kind of, uh, to put it lightly, they sucked the beginning of last year right? and lost that first game. And then they kind of got their act together and all of a sudden they were there now like all of a sudden playoff contender people are saying. Right. And, so. I, and I think it's, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, expectations, like, you know, for the, for the first time really in their school's history, like they are, you know, like the hunted. So to say, obviously like Oklahoma is the favorite in the big 12, but 
You know, there is legitimate, you know, buzz around Iowa State being a playoff team, like you said, which, you know, they have never been a part of that conversation before. So it'd be interesting to see because kind of how they manage the, the fact that they're not sneaking up on anybody anymore. Like, I don't think that anybody is really surprised where, where Iowa State is right now and kind of what type of program that they have become. And sometimes managing those expectations can be tough. So that would definitely something to, to look out for as well. So, you know, I'm looking forward to, to that game. Um, you know, that definitely has, you know, game of the, you know, one of the, the marquee games of the entire college football landscape um, for sure in the early part of the season. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, I'm curious, if we think about this Iowa team and you could think back to kids day, it was still kind of like two weeks ago at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that was your first scrimmage to see, right? Yes. Um, who stood out to you and what were your takeaways from watching that scrimmage, first of all? I think my biggest takeaway was that, you know, the offense, you know, by all accounts looks to be, you know, performing pretty well. And in the summer availabilities that we had, and I'm sure this was something that they spoke to, you know, during spring practice as well, was just, you know, big words that stuck out to me, progression, chemistry, you know, comfortability, like everybody being more comfortable with each other, having a full offseason to prepare and having, you know, extra time to train and just kind of throw around and build relationships with each other. They said what would pay dividends. And I think we saw a little bit of that in the in the kids day scrimmage. I thought the offensive line as you know, a unit had a really great day um, against the, the Iowa defensive front. They did well picking up blitzes um, as well. Players that stuck out to me, Justin Britt um, stepping in for Kyle shot. I thought he played a, a, a great scrimmage. Uh, LaShawn Williams had a stellar day. He was popping big plays everywhere. And um, that's why, I, you know, alluded to the, the running back three competition. Um, and then on the defensive side, Deontay Craig on the defensive line was disruptive, you know, the majority of the scrimmage. And he appeared on Iowa's too deep as well behind uh, Van Valkenburg at defensive end. So I think that they, you know, he earned some trust in that game and probably had, you know, some subsequent good practices as well to, to put him on, on that too deep. So that would probably be uh, my, my top three, but overall impressions was that, you know, the offense, you know, fans who, who came out should be encouraged by what they saw. Yeah. Um, LaShawn was a really, he was a show. He was, yeah. he was fun to watch. I feel like, he was making the most of his time in the spotlight on the field, which I think is awesome. And I think it was Deontay Vines also had a couple of big plays and he's a Mm -hmm. wide receiver and none of us, I didn't even know. I don't think I had like seen his name even in the spring on the roster or it was just like one of those, I glanced over like, Oh, he's too young to play. And then I was like, Whoa, who is this guy? It's like number (laughs) zero, like literally so easy to miss. Like who is this guy? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, he, he might have something to, to say. I think that, you know, just in general, like young wide receivers, you know, showed us something. Of course, we know about Keegan Johnson, Arlen Bruce. Arlen Bruce had a great day um, as well. Long catch, touchdown, um, reception. Keegan Johnson is on the two deep. So, you know, obviously player coaches and players are impressed with him. But, you know, there's something to be said to me about young receivers, you know, stepping up and maybe having more of a, of a say in the offense this year. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see if they adjust accordingly. I mean, there's a tremendous number of wide receivers on this roster, mm-hmm. more than tight ends, which for Iowa is like kind of, I don't know, I think I feel like that's weird to me, you know? Right. Uh, so I don't know if they're planning on, you know, say, using them all, right, mm-hmm. or using a, a good chunk of them in their play calling um, or not, because you also have Tyler Goodson as a pretty reliable, like, running back who can also receive the ball, um, you've got Sam Laporta at tight end. Luke Lachey seems to be like he'll be 
the next guy up to, to use their cliche. And uh, um, yeah, I think that it's all interesting. I think the secondary looks great. I was really impressed by Terry Roberts. I have a story on him mm-hmm. coming out on Sunday. So plot, uh, I guess people will have already read it by then. Um, we are recording on Friday and I think <laughs> this will come out on Monday. So right. hope y'all enjoyed my story on Terry Roberts. Right. Well, you know, shameless plugging it for, you know, anybody who is watching this right now who didn't catch the story. Now, you know. <laughs> go, read the, go read the story give me them clicks let's go get that traffic going get the we get these emails now where it tells you how much ad revenue your stories bring to the website i don't oh. know if y'all have that no that's interesting though yeah so it'll be like this article and then it'll have like paths to conversion and blah blah, blah. and it'll be like eight dollars in ad revenue i'm like is that good is that right. bad like <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it needs to come with an accompanying like, you know, like red, yellow, green scale. Like this is, you know, this, this is that. This is really, this is really good. That's interesting though. I would like to see that though, for sure. Like for our stories, I'm going to have to talk to the, to the people at Gannett, make a phone call, send an email. Like, hey, we might need to <laughs> consider putting this in the next update or whatever. Yeah, it's been, uh, I don't know if it's like a good thing or not. You know, I know that like the athletic analyzes their writers by their like path to subscription uh like how many subs those writers get so uh yeah with here it's just kind of like oh this is I guess this is kind of interesting I don't really know but right. anyway <laughs> my story on Terry Roberts check it out thegazette.com right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um do you have any concerns with this Iowa football team um my greatest concern right now was um, kind of like the, the, you know, the other side of the O-line playing so well was that the defensive line was, um, you know, underwhelming in that scrimmage. And I know that Iowa traditionally is not a team that blitzes often. And, you know, there were several times in that scrimmage where they had to blitz just to try to create some type of pressure for the, the offense. And uh, Noah Shannon didn't play in that, in that scrimmage. So that's a, a noteworthy thing to mention, but just in general, you know, creating pressure in that front four is something that I don't think is a is a sure thing right now. And, um, you know, you lose players like Chauncey Golston, you lose, you know, defensive player of the year, Davion Nixon. Obviously, they're going to be, you know, holes to, to fill. So I think that that would probably be the, the number one thing right now that I'm looking for is, you know, can they get pressure? And if they can't, you know, how much are they going to step out of that comfort zone and try to blitz more often to create pressure? It was interesting that they blitzed so much because Kelvin Bell literally told me that blitzing is one way to, is like a surefire way to die. Mm-hmm. And then they were blitzing the whole scrimmage. It was like, Kelvin, want to follow up on that, man? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think you're right. I think they were just trying to create whatever pressure they could simulate. And it's hard when you're playing against your own team. And I thought what was interesting is a lot of the offensive players were saying, yeah, okay, I feel like we've gotten better because we've had to play against one of the top defenses in right. the Big Ten. Like, this is tough. But then we didn't really see, like, the defense that they've been playing against every day. And maybe that's because the offense has gotten better or maybe not. But I, I saw the same. The interior was kind of lacking in that uh, aggression or momentum. Mm-hmm. And, right. yeah, like you said, Noah Shannon was out, so we, don't, we didn't really get a full picture. Um, you've got Zach Van Valkenburg on one side and – John Wagner and Joe Evans on the other, and both are known to be pretty good playmakers with not a lot of experience, but when they're on the field, 
they certainly make an impact. So I think when it comes to the interior, I can always get the right and the left like mixed up. So I want to make sure I get this right. So Noah's on the left, uh, YA Black and say Logan Lee, who's been rotating out too, are on the right. So I don't know. We'll see who again starts at this uh, Indiana game. And, but I know, you know, it did take Iowa a couple of games. I don't know how many of the beginning of the se- last season you watched. Mm, I watched, um, yeah, I watched both the games in uh, the beginning of the season. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like the defensive line, which ended up being amazing, didn't, wasn't all there for like the Purdue game, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would agree with that. De- definitely like the last six games of the season, definitely saw a lot more playmaking um, disruption from, from that unit. So you know, I think that, you know, they obviously don't have, you know, time to, you know, let's say, you know, ramp that up because their first two games are, are obviously huge. But, you know, maybe the full winter period, spring, summer, fall, you know, will will do them well in that they're as prepared as they possibly can be for the, the start of the season. What would be like a pretty interesting question to ask, which I don't think we'd ever get a clear cut answer on is, um, which what which unit like or position group loses out the most on development when it comes to not having that spring season and not having that summer camp, right? Like, okay, we know that Spencer Petrus like missed 30 days due to quarantine procedures last summer. But when it comes to like developing a defensive line, is that one of those position groups that you really just you really need to nail down that system? You need that time more so than say like a very experienced secondary or more so than say, your tight ends or your wide receivers, mm-hmm. you know, that would be interesting to me to know is like, maybe it's because it is a unit. Whereas like everybody else is kind of more individual. You right. know what I'm saying? Right. No, I'm definitely, I, I haven't even, um, I haven't even thought about that. I don't know what would be the the biggest, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe quarterback would probably be my quick answer just because that's the one where certainly, like, you know, especially like given last year with it breaking in a new quarterback, you probably want your number one to get as many reps as he possibly can. And then number two after him just to, to be prepared. And then, you know, anybody after that is probably not getting many reps at all just because you can't spare them. Um, so that would probably be my quick answer, but you know, as a, like as a whole broader picture, I really don't know. That's um that's interesting. D line is definitely one of those positions where you're going to need to have, you know, upwards of probably close to like eight, 10 guys, you can feel like you can rotate in at any time. So maybe that's a, you know, something that is a great challenge in trying to, you know, evenly spread out those reps. So everybody is, you know, sharpened and, and prepared. So, you know, yeah. good question. Yeah. Maybe I'll ask it at the press conference on Tuesday, <laughs> but I'm sure we're going to get the, well, it's all hard to right. do it. Exactly. Blah, blah, blah. But I'm yeah. like, I, I think, I think there is a disparity like quarterback for sure, especially mm-hmm. like, you're the one that has to know the entire playbook and be the leader on the field. And they talked time and time again about how difficult it was for them to have not to not have a veteran quarterback going into last Mm -hmm. season. Now Iowa does. So now there is actually no excuse for my cats coming in. Uh, There's (laughs) no excuse for like Petrus to have say a bad year. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And that's, not to me, like, that's not me, like, trying to put all this weight on Spencer Petrus, like, whatever. I'm just saying, like, the amount of practice he's gotten, that's no longer something he can fall back on. Right, right. No, I agree 100%. 100%. What did you think about him at the kids' day? I thought that that was, 
you know, him really just establishing himself as the true QB one. I thought that he start to finish was the most consistent. He was the only one who didn't have any turnovers. And I think that what was telling to me is that it seemed like he had, you know, a much more broad scope of, you know, how many formations they lined up in when he was in the game. Like, you know, how many deep passes they, they called for him. It seemed like he had a full command of just kind of the offense. They opened up plays a lot more when he was in the game compared to, you know, Padilla and Hogan. So I think that that is just like a big indication of how much they trust him and how much um, of a full grasp of the playbook that, that he has under his belt. But I thought he looks good. I thought he had he had a rough start, um, but he didn't, you know, it didn't spiral out of control after that. He was able to, to get a good hold of it. He was confident the rest of the way through. He led several scoring drives. So I thought that, you know, for what you wanted to see out of him, he showed it exactly that. I agree. And I think, um, I think a lot of people, I think what's fun about watching Padilla is that he is that guy who scrambles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he can make plays when he scrambles is the, is the cool thing. Um, but the problem is, is he was also inconsistent, right? He had a couple of interceptions and when I'm reading about like quarterback races in other schools, especially my own alma mater, Texas, uh, actually both Texas and Northwestern have had quarterback competitions this off season, <laughs> but, uh, the big, the big thing that coaches pay attention to, especially in these scrimmages are whether or not you have a turn, you turn over the ball. Mm-hmm. And Padilla had, I think, two interceptions in that kids' day scrimmage. And Hogan, I think, had like a fumbled snap interception somewhere. But you're right; like he Hogan also had like a smaller portion of the playbook. Uh, Padilla had a little bit more, and then Spencer had a broad scope. But you know, you can't have those kind of inconsistencies. You can't show that you're going to turn over the ball in a scrimmage, in a scrimmage um, atmosphere. Right. And so. Um, because then what are you going to do in the game? And mm-hmm. he is younger, right? Like, but he is younger. And, you know, just because he is the kind of quarterback that scrambles, that doesn't mean that he's going to automatically be more inconsistent. He just has to master that style to the point where he's not making those kinds of mistakes. The one thing about Spencer, like, yeah, you can scream all you want about his completion percentage last season, but he didn't have that many interceptions. And he only had like four, um, which I've seen a lot more from a lot of other quarterbacks. And maybe that comes from my Texas vibe. I don't know your SEC vibe. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? I think, well, he, um, I think the, the big thing is that the bulk of those came in the first two games when, again, you're quarantined for 30 days, you get thrown right into a big 10 schedule. You have no warm up games, quote unquote, against like an FCS team or a smaller team. One of those games was against Northwestern. So who had one of the best secondaries in the country last year, their first round pick last year, they're going to have a high draft pick in the secondary again this year so that one definitely was not a a favorable matchup but I mean you know he he you know there are legitimate questions about can he lead them to where they're supposed to go but I don't think it was just black and that black and white when you looked at his play last year there was some great area there he definitely improved you know as the season went on and if the kids day scrimmage was any indication he should be much improved to, to what he was last year but it can definitely always be worse. Like I can speak from my own experience at Georgia last year when we had our quarterback opt out of the season two weeks before we were stuck with quarterback who had never played in college before and a walk-on. And I saw both of those, I saw both of those guys play and we were um, dead in the water for quarterback play for pretty much the entire season until the season was over. We lost two games. We weren't going to the playoffs. And then, um, you know, our now starter stepped in and, you know, we, we rolled off a few wins the rest of the way. But um, from my perspective, 
um, it can definitely be worse. And I know the little pro football focus list came out and Petros was ranked 118 or something like that. Well, Georgia's starting quarterback last year, who has now transferred to Temple, was like 126. So it can, <laughs> it can be worse. It can it can be worse. Believe me, like you know, just, just take that yeah. cautionary tale. I looked up Tyrone Swoops, who played quarterback for Texas when I was in college. Uh, which honestly, this guy is built like a tight end, and I think he was he still might be on the practice squad for the Seahawks as a tight end. Um, anyway, his like completion percentage was like was about the same as Petrus, which I was like, really, I just felt like he sucked. But then. <laughs> But then I looked at the interceptions and he had basically the same amount of interceptions as touchdowns. See, that's. And it was like 15 or something or 14. And I was like, this is uh, given like that was a full season, but still right. like it makes Spencer that's look like lot. he's pretty safe. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's a lot. That's a lot. Well, you know, hopefully, you know, yeah, I think the, the best case scenario like the the most optimistic thought is that post gets day scrimmage he was able to kind of keep that momentum rolling and you know that will give the, the coaches you know more trust in him to you know kind of air it out a little bit more obviously they're going to be focused on the run for for good reason they have um Tyler Goodson they have a very stable you know running back room in general a lot of playmakers good offensive line so you know they're going to be run first I'm sure but um maybe he might have a little bit more you know stay in the office to make it a more balanced attack if they feel like he has made those necessary strides. You wrote a big story on Tyler Goodson, um, which I read. Um, it was very good. <laughs> Thank you, Mel. And how was, you know, getting to it, when we're talking about players that we get to interview, a lot of people want to know, like, who's the most fun interview, blah, blah, blah. But what was it like getting to know Tyler? Uh, you know, I feel like my impression of him is he's a very serious guy. Is that, is that how you got, how he came off to you? He is um, very serious about like his craft in terms of like football and like what and what he puts into his training and what he puts into the game. I had a chance to like, you know, go and see him, you know, hold some private workouts. And when he's like working out is like very much like he he's dialed in. But kind of like when that's over, he kind of like, you know, relaxes a little bit and he likes to have fun and, and joke around. And his dad is um, ridiculous. <laughs> he's a character. Um uh, Maurice Goodson um, he likes to keep it light he likes to keep it fun so um, you know them two together um, you know they they have a fun a fun dynamic and um, you yeah, know Tyler he's a a great interview he's a great kid um, comes from a great family um, I was you know so fortunate to to be able to kind of get to know him in that in that space and, and do that story on him but uh, make no mistake when he's when he's locked in he's he's locked in for sure but kind of when he's you know, not in that mode, you know, he's seen, you know, very chill, you know, very easygoing and his family likes to, to have a good time. Yeah. Who has been your, besides Tyler, since you've probably gotten to know him the best, mm -hmm. who's been like your favorite interview so far on this team? Mm. Man, I might have to go maybe with Kyler shot. He was at our um, first, my first availability. He was, oh, that's he, right. he was there and um, you know, very, very nice, very easygoing. Um, you know, he he seems like, you know, somebody who's, you know, pretty open, pretty fun. Um, so I liked getting a chance to, to speak to him as well. But I feel like we had a pretty good run of players during like those availability sessions. I feel like everybody was, you know, pretty open, you know, pretty well, well spoken, like very nice. Uh, so I'll probably have to say him. Um, who else? Seth Benson is also up there for 
Really? I couldn't get him to say that much, but maybe I wasn't asking the right questions. So (laughs) that's probably on me. Yeah, he was, he was, well, nah, he was, he was a good interview. He was a good interview. I'm thinking back. I'm thinking back. Yeah, he was, he was cool. Real nice. So all the, all the higher players that we had though, in the, in that summer availability um, were, were pretty good. I understand, you know, there are some players who are a lot less talkative than others and we might, you know, see them at, at some point in the season, um, I'm sure. Yeah, I actually, I really liked talking to, I don't know if you ever talked to Kayvon Merriweather. No, I haven't. He's a really fun guy to talk to, just kind of like, I don't know, I just feel like every time I interview him, it's like I'm, I walked up to him at a bar and just like started talking to him about random shit, you know, <laughs> like it was just like, it's just, it just seems like he's very lax and very outgoing and funny. And so right. it's just kind of, it's like a fun, relaxed interview. It doesn't feel like an interview, which is something that I really enjoy when I'm talking to a player. Uh, I enjoy talking to Spencer Petrus. Like a lot of people are like, oh, he's a terrible interview. He's really boring. I was like, no, this guy's got like a chip on his shoulder because he knows he gets so much hate. Yeah. Like, no, I feel like he was, I feel like he was open to, and I kind of, I did a story on him during availability about how he doesn't really care about what other people have to say about him. And he's like, for, for someone to be in his position, and to get as much flack as he does. And from my understanding, going through all last year without mentioning one time how many times he was quarantined, he is pretty open. Like I would expect somebody like that to give five word responses and not go into much detail about, you know, how much he's training or, you know, what improvements he's made in his game. But, you know, he he gives pretty detailed responses, you know, every time, so. He does give detail, and I, I appreciated that because I was asking about the quarterback coach work he did. And I was like, can you just, like, actually explain, like, what specifically you're, you're working on and, like, why body position is important? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so he was very detailed. I think he's a great spokesman as far as somebody who is leading this team. You know, it could be – there's a lot of football players out there like, oh, well, it's all about my team, you know. Right. It's all great. Iron shark is <laughs> iron, you know. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, well, it also helps that Spencer and I like the same music. So I'm always like, okay, well, now I'm going to pick his brain about music. And I think everybody's done that. Because uh, I think we've all, I think I've seen every single beat writer, like, mention his music taste. I don't know why that is. But I, I know for me, it's just because I like the same music. But for everybody else, I don't know. Maybe they think it's eclectic. Maybe it's the California thing. I don't know. Right. Right. Well, uh, yeah, that's it. Definitely another uh, a link I have with, with with Tyler as well. Like both of us being from Atlanta, of course, like, you know, we're definitely like aligned in like, you know, heavy it. Atlanta, Atlanta rap music is kind of like our our go to. Yeah. See, it's always fun to find those little like tidbits you can use to connect with these players because mm-hmm. then you feel like you're not seemingly like these evil media people. Exactly. <laughs> Because they will all, they'll be nice to you, but they'll like openly admit they hate talking to media. Right, right. <laughs> like, I think Riley Moss, like he's also a really great interview. He's really nice to talk to. He's like, yeah, I hate this. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess it's like, you know, they're concerned about, you know, words being twisted the wrong way or, you know, whatever, you know, the case may be, or they don't want to, you know, say the wrong thing on accident or, you know, whatever the, the case may be. So I understand it, but we're like, we're nice people. Like, you know, people watching this podcast right now, looking at us, you know, talk to each other. We're like, we're innocent, you know, 
no, um, hardworking, diligent, young journalists. Like, come on now. Like, look at our smiling faces. Like, would we hurt a fly? <laughs> I think we just made ourselves look worse in that moment. <laughs> I actually think, though, but I don't know. I wonder if because we are younger, they might, like, think, oh, this person's, like, close to my age. Like, maybe... Right. Uh, you know, maybe this person I can trust or maybe not. I don't know. Cause I'm not going to be like makes bold claim, blah, blah, blah. I would be yeah, like, exactly. ah, I need you to elaborate because if you elaborate, you provide more detail. Of course. Then I'm able to be more accurate in that sense, which I think that they're coached the opposite way. Right. Exactly. Difficult. Yeah, like the, the more the more you talk, the more you're running a risk of, you know, falling down a rabbit hole or, or putting your foot in your mouth or, or whatever the, the case may be. But um, we're going to keep trying. That's what we do as as journalists. I so, did yeah. ask Seth Benson what shampoo commercial uh, he would do, like because it was like the NIL availability that we had. And yeah. I was like, so what like shampoo brand would you rep? Because he has like a nice mane of like blonde hair. And so does right. like Kyler Shot has a nice uh mane of hair and then you've got monte potabom's got the uh mullet so right. i want to know from like each and every one of them what shampoo brand they would rep if given the opportunity what was his answer he said he didn't know because he uses the sh- he uses the shampoo off the walls of the locker room and i was like seth you have really nice hair you gotta take care of it right hey well maybe the shampoo off the wall in the locker room is is doing what it's supposed to do we think that iowa is providing like pantene or like nexus or like biolage like what are they getting i don't know head and shoulders it's probably head and shoulders that would make sense i don't know this is a major division one college football program they don't need to to spare any expenses on on the hair that's very important so you know hopefully it's you know if it's not top shelf, like maybe it's, you know, something kind of in like that, that mid upper tier. <laughs> um, so what games are you most excited about covering as a new reporter on the beat? We're both new reporters on this beat. So I already did a story on it, but I haven't heard your take. All right. So, um, you know, Sci-Hog excluded because I think that one speaks for itself. Um, I want to go. I'm looking for like I want to go. I'm actually going. I'm looking forward to going to Camp Randall. Uh, for those constant games, it's going to be on Halloween weekend, which is going to be, um, you know, crazy. I think the city is going to be buzzing. I feel like that's going to be a huge game also when we get down to it. And then also um, going to Nebraska, right? We're going to going to Nebraska. It's going to be a, a huge game. I want to see the, the Red Sea and, um, you know, kind of get a, a in-person feel of how much, you know, those people out there really love their football program so I definitely want to I definitely want to see that and I think that's another game that's going to be a huge intrigue at that point in the season um so those are like my my top two but just um in general like I want to I'm looking forward to this entire Big Ten slate like I'm an SEC guy you know you're a a Big 12 girl I don't know how much you watched watch it I don't know how much you watched the Big Ten prior to to taking this position but for me I never really watched the Big Ten outside of, you know, whenever Ohio State was on TV. So I really don't know too much about, you know, any of these other teams or just kind of like the, the culture of the Big Ten. So I'm really, you know, looking forward to all of it. I know that's like, you know, coach speak, very generic answer, like, oh, every single game is important. And, you know, I look at all of them equally. Oh, you know, yeah. 
but that's really how I, that's really how I feel is, you know, I really want to, you know, get a chance to, to see everybody and go to different places and kind of take it all in. But top two for sure are Wisconsin and Nebraska. We're going to have to have like a Friendsgiving in Nebraska. All right. Of us. I'm down. Yeah, I'm, we can do that for sure. You think, uh, I don't know what I would bring to the table. I don't know. I feel like, do I lug in some, like something I make like across the country or do we just go buy stuff when we get there? I'm wondering like, what, what do you bring to the table to Friendsgiving usually? Right. I don't know. We might need to, we're going to have to dive further into like, maybe like dietary restrictions or, you know, (laughs) some people don't eat. I don't know. Some people don't eat potato salad. Some people don't eat dressing or stuffing or whatever. Like some people prefer ham over turkey. I don't know what the, I don't know, but we're going to I know our good friend, our good friend, David Eichholt would probably supply the beer. Oh yeah. Yeah. We don't have to worry about, we don't have to worry about that. Like (laughs) that's that's not even something we're going to have to put on the list. He's just going to pull up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Well, Kenny, it's been super fun having you on the First episode of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. Right. Yeah. Uh, this, this was um, an honor. Uh, I had a great time. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I wish you the best in this in this Hawk Off the Press venture. And um, I know you're going to continue to have great episodes. You've had great episodes before. The Kelvin Bell one was, was really good, really uh, insightful. So, you know, I love what you do, even though you're a, a competitor. And I know you're going to continue to do great. But, um, yeah, this was this was really fun. Yeah, and we'll have to have you back soon. I enjoy reading your work and working alongside you and against you. I get—I don't know. It's not really like against, but you know, you. I can't have you on the podcast very often because you work for the Des Moines Register, right? Exactly. So, <laughs> but y'all like subscribe to both of us. Check out Kenny's work for the Des Moines Register. Check out my work for the Gazette, and y'all have a good one. All right, you know, football season is here. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a wild ride. So. Let's go.